three, two, one. Welcome everyone to There Will Be Bugs, an insect podcast where we cover a variety of entomological topics. I am one of your hosts, Ben. And I'm your other host, Zilla. Today, we're going to be discussing the twisted wing parasites, also known as Strepsinoptera. Before that, uh, what's new in the tattoo world? Oh, man. Not much. Not much new in the tattoo world? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a thousands, thousands of year old tradition. Not that much changes in like a week. <laughs> there might be a new season of Ink Master, but I don't pay very much attention to that because it stresses me out. Uh, so you'd consider yourself the horseshoe crab of the industry world? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, almost as old as prostitution. <laughs> well, we've had a lot of rainy weather here. It's been very cold. I haven't, I've seen a few insects out and about. Today I saw a few bumblebees visiting some, some wild ditch flowers. I saw some sleepy moths, or not moths, um, wasps while I was at the store today. Nice, nice. And then uh, it seems like the invasion of our house has kind of commenced. They're, I haven't, at least like on the surface, they're in here now. <laughs> but they're hidden. They're hidden, which I is am. fine. You know, I don't care if you're here. I just don't want to see you. Yeah, there were a lot of stink bugs. Yes, a lot of stink bugs. And again, the Asian multicolored lady beetle, ladybird beetle. Is that like the entomologist version of calling it a tattoo machine instead of a tattoo gun? Like you can't just call it a ladybug. Oh, that's just my, that's my thing where they're not, bu- they're not true bugs. And so like, they're actually lady bird beetles or so lady beetles. So if you're in the know, you call them a lady bird beetle. Yes. And that's why I also like referring to fireflies and or lightning bugs as bioluminescent beetles. One, it's alliteration, which is, <laughs> which goes off the tongue a lot better, but it's also more accurate. Because they are bioluminescent and they are beetles. They are not fire, they are not lightning, and they're not bugs or flies. So both both <laughs> okay. parts of both of those terms is incorrect. All right. Like I said, we are visiting the twisted wing parasites today, not any of the other stuff that we mentioned. Is that an insect or is that something that parasite is parasitic to insects. It is a insect that parasitizes insects. Okay. So we're talking, again, we're in the class Insecta, insects. The order is uh, Strepsinoptera. And <clears throat> this is probably a really unheard of order among normal people, common folk. <laughs> Sorry. Common, common ladybug people. Yeah, yeah. Ladybug and, and firefly folk. <laughs> entomologists aren't normal, and I mean that in an endearing term. So normal people. I heard Ben. <clears throat> sorry, had a had a phone call with his advisor today, and they were talking about like the cute little antenna on these on these creatures. Yeah, fairy it was, flies. It was very wholesome. I got a really good photo of a fairy fly under a, a dissecting scope, and it had these big honking horned antenna for an insect that's a little bit bigger than a like a little bit larger than like the tip of a pencil and it had these antenna that were like just as big as it and, and so cute. it's very cute yeah they're <laughs> they're adorable um they're also terrifying if you're an egg so don't <laughs> <laughs> like an insect egg or like a chicken egg <laughs> an insect egg all right <laughs> but uh strepsiptera again super uncommon or not, eh, they're not even 
they are uncommon, but they're also, we're talking about an entire order uh, that has 600 described species, which is not a lot for insects. You can have families, like if we're talking about like the large families of beetles, like ground beetles and, oh yeah, no, there's definitely more than, sorry, there's definitely more than 600 species of ground beetles out there. And that's just like one family within Coleoptera. You might have, you might have genera that have 600 described species in some beetle families. Uh, so this is like a very small family. Hipster bugs. They're hipster bugs. And they... Probably haven't heard of them. They, they're under the radar. Only listen to vinyl. <laughs> uh, they're, the best common name translates to twisted wing. And this has to do with their morphology, which I'm going to cover in a little bit. But they are most closely related to diptera. So those are your flies. The males have a forewing, so that's like the first wing on the insect closest to its head. Their forewing is reduced into a haltier, which is this modified wing that flies have. So that's why scientists hypothesize that they're most closely related to flies. Their wings are so cute and weird yeah yeah i that's a great descriptor for audio you're welcome everybody they look like like um like a ballerina skirt or something they've got like a little turned up tip they're cute and i i will i will we'll get we'll dive into the looks of them a little bit more but the last thing i want to kind of say about their classification is that they uh, get lumped in with beetles occasionally because their life stages resemble that the some of the stages of the blister beetle or wedge-shaped beetles but that that's kind of gone to the wayside to and now scientists more think that they're closely related to flies all right now we're going to get into the description and do you want to see sorry, the I do you want to see the photos i queued up you kind of jumped yes, the gun but sorry um i got excited and googled them one of the photos i have a feeling what you're going to say about them but i'm going to show you the male first and okay. viewers at home you can't really see this but this is what the male looks I like i don't like their eyes i knew you're going to say that they exactly like, about that they look the like, eye. Um, they look like those little candies that you get on ice cream sometimes the snow cone or the snow <laughs> cat oh yes snow cat where it's like chocolate like a little chocolate chip with like a little parcel white yeah they're like little white sprinkles in it yeah which is a delicious candy but i don't mm. A little uh, creepy on this bug. But Sorry, bug. That's one of the things is their eyes are extremely enlarged. Uh, more oh, on the males. The females don't develop eyes. But the males <laughs> have these, like, extremely large eyes. Are the antenna three... Three little fluffy antenna. The, the antenna are are I've seen a few different photos of them. Their antenna uh, can um, vary from this, so that's not something that's super diagnostic about this photo. So don't pay, you know, don't hold on to the antenna too much. Okay. You can see this right here. What I'm pointing to is the first set of wings. These are called the haltiers. Wings. So they're like these little balls that the wings got kind of reduced down into and flies use them as kind of like gyroscopes while they're flying. So they like spin them around and it adds stability to their flight. Um, and then they're, uh, they're... So they actually have a function though. It's not like an appendix. Yes. It's not like a residual... Yeah, they, they have a function, and honestly, just being reduced is a function in its own because then you don't have to coordinate, you don't have to like coordinate the flapping of two wings. And but we that that's like if we it's probably more brain power, 
Yeah, it, no, and that that could be a whole like episode about wings and how one pair of wings is more efficient than two. But we'll we'll have we'll save that for our wing episode. Um, and then the the hind wing here, uh, they're kind of. They're kind of shaped like ginkgo leaves. Yeah, and, and it's weird because they look like they're not totally unfurled. Like, you know how, like, an insect uh, pupates and emerges and its wings are still kind of, like, crumpled up and it has to, like, use hydraulic pressure to push them out to full wing? I know what they look like. I did not know the hydraulic pressure part. Yeah, so they use hydraulic pressure to kind of, like, unfold their wings it kind of looks like this insect didn't do that full all the way, but that's just how they're supposed to look. So, yeah, so that's the male that you're looking at. And then what you're looking at here on this um, paper wasp, I have a photo of a paper wasp, and in between the, the segments of this abdomen, you see these little black, uh, they look like little grains of rice shoved under the, like, the segments. Um, those are actually the larvae or, and or mature females of the species how did she catch him to lay eggs there ah we'll get to that but um i'm doing we're doing more of the 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 physical description right now um and then and then here's just like a more close-up photo of it so gross i really hate that uh of um (laughs) under the um the scale uh, under the segments of the abdomen there and so we kind of we kind of pit i'll at least i picked this episode because we're getting into spooky season and if you're a paper wasp or um, parasitize a lot of different insects, but I, I've only seen them on paper wasps, but they will be on other sorts of um, wasps and bees, and they um, will also infect different orders. Like they'll they'll be in um, they'll get into like your grasshoppers and your katydids and and stuff like that. So this is really the the life the life cycle of this insect is kind of a horror story. So I thought it would be an appropriate one to do right before Halloween. Yeah. It's gross. Uh, the, Don't Google it. Or do, but it's gross. The The twisted wind parasites are endoparasites, the, uh, which means the parasite lives on or inside the host organism. Uh, and this is rare for insects to be true parasi- uh, parasites on other insects. Most of the time, insects are either predators or parasitoids of other insects. Uh, what, what differentiates a parasite from a parasitoid is that the host living inside of it eventually causes the death of that organism in a parasitoid. And a parasite, uh, it doesn't necessarily cause the death of the host uh, uh, from it living inside of it. So parasitoid always kills the host. Yes. Parasite just... Makes lives. It late for yep. something. Yeah, yep, exactly. The uh, adult males are rarely observed and the females are regularly observed. The female and, and the, the larva forms are regularly uh, observed. Um, the males, as I showed you, they look like insects. They have wings, they have mandibles, they have legs, they have antenna, they have eyes. Weird eyes. They do have weird eyes. Snow cone eyes. Um, where the females are basically bags of eggs with an oviduct and a head that's partially projecting out of the host body. Um, they are wingless, they are legless, they are eyeless, and they never leave the host body. But they don't kill the host. They do not kill the host, correct. Do you have a picture of that? This could be an adult female. What, I, what I'm showing you right here. So they're like 
they're like ticks <laughs> are to us. They are to <laughs> yeah. other bugs. Yeah. Uh, they are in there for the ride. How does she have it? Oh, okay. So we're going to get into the life history this of them now. This is spooky. This is, this, this is spooky. So it's hard to say where to start with this. So I'm going to start with an adult female that is this eyeless, antennaless, legless, wingless organism. That's like embedded. Embedded in this, let's say, wasp. There is this free living male that I showed you a picture of. It has wings, it has eyes, it has antenna. It, um, it needs all those extra eyes to find her <laughs> in this other bug. <laughs> it actually uses, it's funny you mention that, it uses pheromones released by the female to find it inside this insect. And so the male cues in on these pheromones and it lands on the, basically this wasp and then inseminates the female inside of this host what does the wasp do is it just take it is it just, just the wasp the wasp might not, know not notice it because they are very small so the the wasp might not notice it or might not care uh, it might just be like on it doing its thing on a flower or whatever and so the male inseminates the the female and then the male doesn't live much longer after that it dies the female then with the uh the female will then start developing these eggs uh, viviparously. So they these eggs develop inside of her and they develop to the first larval instar where then they burst out of the female, the mother, and kill her okay. as they burst out. But they don't kill the wasp. They only kill the mother they burst out of her, and then the larvae have to then disperse really quickly. And so this is ideal when, like, the wasp is on a flower feeding. The, the larvae will burst out of the mother and then land on the flower and kind of try and disperse out. Um, and they'll also disperse out of the mother, like, leave the mother at, on, in stages. And so this gives time for, like, the wasp to land on different flowers and then the ba basically the babies uh. will just like jump off the train at, at different points. And so that helps with the dispersion, dispersion of them. They're just using the wasp as, as the ride. Okay. And so they can then be like, like... An uber pool. Yeah, a big uber pool where your mother's dead in the back seat and there's blood everywhere. This is a great Halloween episode. <laughs> and then these larvae then sit and wait on these flowers for another host to come by. So another wasp comes by, feeding on the flower, lands on the flower. The larva will then uh, like jump onto that host, crawl or whatever it can do to get up onto that host. And it will either A, use an enzyme to go directly into that host. So it will just directly make its way into that host. Like the or, enzyme eats it away. Yeah, way of the cuticle of the, of the host. Again, not killing it, it gets in there and then start, starts its life cycle. Or the larva will hitch a ride with the host to the host's nest. And then there, it can... I was going to ask that. Yeah. yeah. If they ever just, like, go back to the wasp nest and then... 
really cause problems. Yeah. The larva will go back to the nest and they will, uh, but it. Like taking an infected zombie to the hospital. Kind of. And it gets everybody. Kind of. Except for it doesn't get everyone because this individual, since it is a parasite, it can only infect one individual. Mm. So it will. I guess my question is is if the eggs happen to hatch like in a wasp hive. That yeah, seems like yeah. It would be pretty no, handy. that 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 could be a possibility. I don't see why that couldn't happen. And so then you have all of these young wasp larvae that they can just instantly get into. And the wasp larvae are arguably easier to get into because they don't have such a hard oh, cuticle as the adult. They and have then a hard outer shell. They're soft and squishy. Yeah, <laughs> and then so then now this larva is inside the host, and it begins to grow and molt inside the host. And it feed and it purposely feeds on non-essential tissues because again it doesn't want to kill its host. It wants to be along for the ride. Right. So something I did forget to mention earlier when we were talking about the the larva dispersing is that the male and female larva parasitize different hosts. This is to help the larva to disperse from each other, and then you also have like intermingling of different like different brood and so you have increased genetic variation uh it's all about dispersing and trying to get to get as far away from where you started as possible so that you increase your genetic uh diversity so now the the first instars are inside of their host and they're they are eating non-essential tissues and they're starting to molt this is this is called a uh, hypermetamorphosis uh this is a a unique form of complete metamorphosis where the instars are sometimes distinct from each other. Uh, and this is alluding to how the first larval instar is like this free living mobile instar. What's an instar? Uh, instar are the stages of uh, larval molt. And so like you have basically uh, larvae have to molt multiple times before they get to the stage where they can pupate and then become an adult. And so an instar is just like the the molting stages. So if it has if it hasn't molted at all, it is a first instar. If it then molts once, it is a second instar. If it molts again, it's a third instar. So that's just a term to keep track of like how many Which times iteration. this yeah, how many times this larva has uh, molted. Cool. So as the larva is inside the host, it, it induces the host to create this bag-like structure around it that protects the parasite from attack from the host immune system. And this like bag-like structure is even further reinforced by like when the when the larva molts and it's like sheds its cuticle, it like creates this barrier. It's like living inside of like multiple sweatshirts. If you're to like take a sweatshirt off but actually not take it off and it's just like piling those sweatshirts up on top of you. It's like it's, the opposite of how a pearl is made. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it only further protects the twisted wing parasite from attack from the host. So when the larva is all done molting and it uh, pupates into an adult, the female obviously cannot leave. It has no wings, legs, antenna, anything like that. So it stays inside the host and it, it 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 just like protrudes outside the host. The male, however, pupates into that free living form with wings and everything, and that leaves its host and then goes out to find a female to mate with. 
And that completes the life cycle of, of the twisted wing parasite. I really hate it. Yeah, it's, I'm sure it's pretty awful for the host. Even though it doesn't kill them, I'm sure it's not pleasant. It, it's a good homage to hardworking mother, hard mothers out there, specifically insect mothers. Who, Gosh, we should have saved this one for Mother's Day. Ah, man. Maybe uh, we could... I'm sure we could find another one. Another horrible one. Uh, probably there's some, like, good parental care insects out there that, like, don't end up dying from their, like larva exploding <laughs> out of them yeah good job out there insect mothers you're doing great we're going to now transition to a case study i found about the strepsiptera parasites i'm going to preface this by saying there's not a lot of research on these organisms in the first place and so there wasn't a lot of case studies out there this one today is brought to you by big oil uh, this was a uh, this so uh, this one was called Strepsiptera parasites novel biocontrol tools for oil palm integrated pest management in Papua New Guinea. So big palm oil. Big palm oil is coming to get you. This is a 1998 journal article in the Journal of Pest Management. So it's pretty old at this point. Like you. Yeah. Oh man! Now everyone, all our viewers know my age. I was not born in 1998 though. The journal article is based off research that was done in 1995. Uh, this is a project between Oil Palm Research Association Incorporated and Oxford University. Let every I want everyone to think about that, about how Oxford University has got their pockets in with big oil palm. <laughs> Coincidence? Mm. Uh, in 1995, oil... So Oxford University like older than calculus? <laughs> I think that's a fun fact about Oxford University, but I'm not going to look it up. <laughs> Maybe older than Calculon, but... I think it's older than Calculus, but I'm not going to look it up. I'm just going to repeat that. <laughs> just self-perpetuating lies. Yep. You heard it on a podcast, so it must be true. In 1995, oil palm was the second agricultural industry in Papua New Guinea, only behind coffee. At the time, so we're talking about 1995, 63,000 hectares of oil palm were being produced in Papua New Guinea. For Americans out there, that's 155,000 acres of land. Uh, just for a little context, so in 1995, it was 63,000 hectares of land today i looked it up it is 150,000 hectares of land so it more than doubled since oh, kind of a big deal right so yeah there was controversy in girl scouts recently for using palm oil in their cookies <laughs> <laughs> oh You're man welcome for that it's also a fun fact also i looked it up and oxford is older than calculus <laughs> It is true. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> uh, the main pests of oil palm are the Tetagonidae. Those are your um, katydids and the orthopterans. We did a, uh, our first episode is about the katydid. Yeah. So they are the major pests of oil palm. They cause damage by feeding on the fronds of the oil palm tree. Areas where infestations break out, large defoliation events can hurt, uh, occur. 
control methods use insecticide injections into the trees. The treatment remains in the foliage uh, for about 60 days and then reapplication is required after that. These insecticide injections are very effective and it prevents damage to non-target organisms, which sounds great. Like this is effective and doesn't kill other insects. Why would we want to try and change that? Well, pesticides are bad, right? Well, okay, that was a That's loaded a very statement. loaded that statement. That was a loaded statement. But ideally, like this pesticide seems like it's great. It doesn't target other organisms. Barely kills eagles. It <laughs> We do not use DDT anymore. I don't even... <laughs> uh, you know, why would we want to switch it up if it's effective and doesn't target other organisms? I don't know. I didn't go to <laughs> science school. Well, it turns out it's very time-consuming time to apply this to every infected tree in a large area, especially if we're talking about area in the jungle, <laughs> especially during like when it's really hot and humid or there might be like a torrential downpour because they have wet season storms there. And it also requires good monitoring techniques to catch the insects before they cause too much damage because it doesn't make sense to treat a tree if the insect isn't there. But then if you catch the insect too late, well, then right, you then. missed your window. And so these are all things that they considered that like, yes, this is a pretty decent um, method, but it's not perfect. So the research objectives of these of this study was to determine the effectiveness of Stictotrema delotorianum on feeding and reproductive behavior of the host and assess whether infection reduces the pest and status of that host. The name that I just mentioned, Strictotrema delatorium delatorianum is a type of twisted wing parasite. I don't really want to keep repeating that very long Latin word, so we'll just call it the twisted wing parasite. They also want to use fine structure studies to elucidate, t elucidate key components of the nature of the host parasite relationship. And that was like a direct quote from the paper. And so that's why I had trouble reading it like that. Fun fact. <laughs> Uh, results. The effect of parasitism by Strictotrema delatorineum on its host, Suggestidia no noviogineae. Great. That was really amazing. Yeah. Anyways, that host is a type of katydid, and the, the parasite that they put on it is a twisted wing parasite. That's the good gist you need to know about it. The results... There were obvious morphological effects on the host, such as reduced length of wing, ovipositor, and digestive tract. The feeding activity... God, whose job is it to measure wasps' digestive tracts? Oh, uh, so... Or, sorry, yeah, so digestive, whatever. <laughs> Katie whose did? job is that? Uh, so, you know, some research scientist, and they just dissect the insects and measure it. As simple as that. They also found that feeding activity was reduced in parasitized female hosts. This was estimated indirectly through weighing gut contents of individuals. Obviously, these individuals are dead, but when they weighed them when they were dead, like the guts, they realized that there was like reduced weight compared to the uh, females who were not parasitized. 
The parasitized Katie did mass Katie did autopsies. Mass Katie did autopsies. That you're cutting open Katie did all day in a lab and just measuring different parts of it. That's the life of a grad student. Right Go to there. college, they said. Go to college. You'll cut open thousands of Katie dids, they said. Mass Katie did's autopsies is gonna be the name of my next metal band though. So <laughs> thanks everyone. <laughs> when's your when's your new track dropping? Oh. We've just learned how to post on Spotify, actually, so it'll be soon. (laughs) (laughs) They also found parasitized hosts had reduced body dry weight. So they dried these insects after their death and then weighed the overall mass of of the insect. This was correlated with a reduced nitrogen content and low amounts of body lipids. So they assumed that this insect just wasn't accumulating nitrogen in its body like a normal one would and it wasn't accumulating body fat like a normal one would insects are body fat yeah it's a different it's not like the same kind of form that we have but uh insects have body fat people that's what they use they they use their fat storage to get through the winter much like bears do it's a whole untapped market for the beauty industry all like Avon has to do is start making insects feel bad about their their big jiggly thighs, and there's like a whole untapped economic market there. <laughs> or or we could make insect soap. We could take the body fat from insects and render oh. it down and make insect soap with it. God, that's just more insect dissectation, autopsies. Yeah, I think we have a better chance of getting... Can the bars be, like, extra tiny? Or or we just charge a million dollars for a single bar. Yeah. Halloween episode, folks. (laughs) Another result from the study is females had impaired ovarian development, reduced egg numbers, and both the males and females had reduced gonad weight. Hmm. (laughs) Again, you're just... You're just dissecting Katie Dids all day. I assume that, I mean, what kind of a scale? Like, I assume that there's some sort of specialty, <laughs> like, tiny laboratory scale. I've never spent any time in a laboratory, so I don't I don't know. But I assume that there's some kind of little teeny tiny scale to measure little teeny tiny weights like that. Yeah, there there are. We We used a pretty precise one in my organic chemistry lab where, like, it's in this hood, so wind doesn't blow by it because that will affect so your... Sensitive. Yeah, and also if you just kind of like, if you were weighing something and you even like leaned against the, the desk, it would sense you pushing on the desk and it would like the weight would kind of go around. And that wasn't even like that. I was at a, you know, a SUNY school in Syracuse, New York, the Salt City. It's not like we had like that. You didn't have that big oil flooding. <laughs> yeah, I know. So. <laughs> big oil probably bought, made, developed the best scale in the world just to just it's for this study. gonads. <laughs> Eggs in an infected female were darker in color and smaller than non-infected females. And sometimes these eggs had these bulbous protrusions in them that a ca- that caused the egg to not be ovulated. So it would just sit inside the katie did okay yeah and not be able to like work its yeah way out work its way, way out not all the eggs had these bulbous protrusions but eggs that didn't have the bulbous pr- protrusions seemed normal on the surface but the uh chorion which is i had to look this term up i don't really know egg anatomy the chorion is this membrane around the embryo of the egg i guess the best way to compare this like 
in a if you're thinking about a chicken egg, there's like the hard shell on the outside, and then there's that membrane. Like, have you ever put an egg in vinegar and eat the shell? Yeah, away there you go. Exactly. Okay. Yep. So that's the that's the chorion. Middle school science class. <laughs> the chorion in these eggs were not correct, and the embryo didn't develop. Something about them, like something about the structure and the architecture of how this chorion is developed. Uh, was not correct, and so the embryos never developed. So that leads us to our conclusions of these papers. And I something I really liked about this paper is they they were very transparent about their conclusions and like right away started off by saying that these are tentative conclusions. I like when science papers are like when science papers realize that they might have like some gaps in their research and they're like, we understand that there's gaps here. Here's our tentative research. And they even finished with like, here's what we want to expand on like with future papers. So that was cool. I like when papers do that. The tentative conclusions, the strictotrema had an effect on the fitness of sagestia. That's that Katie did. And uh, strictotrema was the, the twisted wing parasite. The, the twisted wing parasite reduces and disrupts feeding in the insects. Uh, it also decreases the reproductive capacity of the insects. And their evidence suggests this organism could be a viable biocontrol to reduce pest pressure on oil palm. So the, the parasite doesn't like outright kill the katydids, but it just makes them, you know, less viable at breeding exactly so there's fewer of them around exactly there's a lot of katydids around there's a, there's a lot of katydids around they they touched on that they want to do further research on seeing if the parasite is effective in the field so this was all done in a lab and ah. they wanted to expand this to field trials which you, you got to start in the lab you, you just can't go to field trials that's not practical they want to see how e if it didn't work too, you'd have all of these like <laughs> new insects out there just flying around in the ecosystem and doing God knows what. Yeah, and even though this is sponsored by Big Oil, it, field research is a lot more expensive than lab research. It's easier to rear insects in a lab and then just introduce this parasite in a lab instead of like setting out all these traps and monitoring in the wild and stuff like so that. Does a lab in this case mean like? a building or does it mean that they have like a little plot of palm trees set aside this was a building so i they didn't this paper didn't have a ton about their their methods but i imagine that there is just a bunch of rooms with insect rearing tents in them and they had these katydids in there feeding on uh like oil uh oil palm leaves that they would feed them gotcha. and like the bees in the x-files movie I don't get that reference. You never watch good movies. <laughs> they they want to move this research into the field to see how uh, effective it is. They also want to see how easy it is to introduce and establish this organism. And they also want to see how effective this Parasite, this parasite is on different katydid species in Papua New Guinea. Because there's a few that they mentioned that are pests on oil palm in Papua New Guinea, but they only their their first trial was only on a on a single uh, species. But they want to expand to other species and see how uh, effective it is on parasitizing those other species. 
One last thing they, they touched on is they want to try out different species of twisted wing parasites. So they focused on the one species of twisted wing parasite. They want to expand that to, to incorporate other species of twisted wing parasites. And they want to see if maybe doing, uh, like mixing the species would help. They had a lot of questions and it's good to start your research small and build up from that. So this, it was a good paper. I enjoyed it. It, it wasn't super complex, but it was straightforward. I like when papers are straightforward and easy to read. That kind of touches on, that starts to go into my next set, my last segue, which was like my thoughts on this, um, this paper. Lab experience are a lot different than the field, so I'd be interested to see how things go in the field, because it's always different when you start bringing things out into the field. Sure. Uh, and I also wanted to, I was curious, they didn't, again, these questions I don't have answers for, because if I had answers for them, I wouldn't be asking them. <laughs> That's how that works. I don't know. Maybe you're trying to set yourself up for a funny joke. Uh, I'm, I'm interested why they chose twisted wing parasites. Like, that seems strange to me. Why they would, one, pick a parasite when maybe they could be researching egg parasitoids or just, like, natural predators of katydids. I thought it was, it was just really strange to be putting this research into this organism, which already doesn't have a ton of research into it. So you're kind of, I feel like you're digging yourself a hole from the start. Maybe they've thought, they wondered if it was, like, maybe they've wondered if there were too many side effects from those other, you know, like, maybe they somehow, they wanted to determine if the, um, this parasite would do like less damage to other things you know they yeah. don't want to do like a butterfly effect no that's that's a fair point now that would be a guess yeah you make a you make a good point because if it's a parasite it's not outright killing these insects uh so if it does parasitize other hosts maybe non-target hosts it won't kill them outright so you might have a better chance of it's like impact being lower so that's a good point. I didn't. I had not. Thought, I had not thought of that, and I appreciate that. I'm a good guesser. the The last thing I want to mention is, again, this paper was published in 1998, and I saw no follow up papers from this. So I'm interested to see if the if Big Oil pulled their their funding money for this and just put it into insecticide yeah, or they were like, this pesticide's actually not so bad now that we all this time weighing candy ovaries. <laughs> they got one grad student through their master's program and was like, okay, that's enough money. We got to make big oil bigger. Yeah. We got to get those Girl Scout cookies going. So I was really hoping for a follow-up paper, but I did not find one. And again, this, I like gravitating towards oddball papers but there was just not a lot of papers on twisted wing parasites. And they're, but they're a really cool organism and they're, and they're perfect for Halloween. Yeah, I really um, hated learning about them in every way because they are gross. Yeah, and if you're someone who like, like really gets creeped cool, out. Gross. I guess that's like the cool kind of gross, like a, like going to see a scary movie gross. Yeah. Not trying to like dunk on them, but. And if, if you're someone who really gets, like, has a phobia of parasites or, like, things, like, living in your skin or stuff like that, do not look photos, do, do not look up photos of this organism because it's terrifying. 
Yeah, no, okay. it's, it's like, it like genuinely kind of gave me the spine tingles a little bit looking at it. like that. Um, what's that thing where if you look at the holes all close together? You say it all the time. It trichophobia tri- or whatever. Something like that. I don't. I don't get it. So I don't. Uh, I can so look. At- I hate looking it up because then it always shows you images of it, and it's gross. Tripophobia. 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 Yeah. So if you have that, like I do. Um, this might not be the bug for you. Although it wasn't that bad. It was just like a light, a light tangle. <laughs> well, that concludes our episode for today. I hope you all enjoyed listening and remember to stay spineless. The journal, the journal, journal. Holy Helen! <laughs> I'm obviously gonna fucking cut all that, but I just can't fucking speak. It's okay, words are hard.